I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I'm humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. All right. Well, our scripture text comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 14 and 15. I've been reading into your hearing. And uh, we'll do this one more time. Probably next week we're going to wrap this up. But I hope that the Lord bless you with something today. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. So who did the money belong to? Him. He entrusted them. So the man had servants, and what he had, he entrusted to someone else. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Somebody say abilities. You know, when I looked that up, it lets me know that each one of you got certain skills to do something that God has given you. Some of you got IES on it, abilities. Some just got a Y, ability. And see, sometimes when the Y have to do five things, they're doing things outside of there. So what we have to do is encourage the ones that have the five talents to use those so that a person who only got one don't have to operate, operate outside what God gave them. Amen? And so he gave all of us a bill. All of us possess something that we can do based upon God giving it to us. Amen? Amen. Then the Bible says he then left on his trip. You may be seated. This is going to be our third uh, sermon in this series that we've entitled and centered around our theme, The Year of Great Stewardship. And I said my objective in this has been to inspire you and to encourage you to embrace and fulfill your stewardship responsibilities as you worship and serve the Lord in your home, on your job, in the community, in your social circles, as well as here in the church. We said the definition of stewardship uh, or steward is someone who oversees or manages the property or house of another. Definition number two said it is a sacred, somebody say sacred. It's a sacred trust. And we're going to kind of look at that today from the standpoint of how God look at those of us who have been called to ministry. Even though it's a sacred trust entrusted to us, each one of you have a responsibility when it comes to the gospel. But he holds us at a higher standard. Amen? Because we have been given a commission and a charge. We have been delegated responsibility to share this gospel with others, to teach them, to train them, to nurture them, to do all those things that he didn't necessarily give to everybody else to do. So ministers have a higher responsibility when it comes to what they have been entrusted. Can I get the preachers to say amen? Because uh, half of this message is just at us today, amen? Is that all right? Because the people ought to know what we ought to be doing. Amen? Now, now as Christians, we have a responsibility to faithfully fulfill our God-given ministry, particularly when it comes to proclaiming the gospel. And I said that a broader doctrine and comprehensive view of stewardship shows that Christians have the responsibility to be faithfully, to faithfully use their personal talents, we said abilities, their time and their treasures, their possession, what God has blessed you with, to serve both God and 
man. Christian stewardship properly recognize that all human time, all your talent, and the treasures that you possess, however God has blessed you to get those treasures, in the earth and everything it is has been entrusted to us on co-assignment, and because of that, we see that God, we see God as the owner of everything that we have. Amen? Because if you don't look at it like that, then stewardship is not going to connect with you because you're going to think you're the master, you're the owner, when in reality we're just his servants. Tough, le- tough message to swallow. I said, now look, there were four characteristics of a steward, and of a good steward. And the one is that a good steward's are constructive and productive. I'm not going to go through all that again, just quickly. I said a good steward practice conservation. They don't waste stuff. I said a good stewards are reliable. And the fourth thing I said, good stewards are faithful. And we're going to hit that one a little bit today. In, in other words, when we talk about stewardship, that means that God expects us not to waste time, our talents, and our resources. And he don't even expect us to, you know, if he's blessed you with abundance, he don't expect you to squander what he blessed you with. Amen. He expects you to use it in a way that's going to bring glory and honor to him. Now, if you missed the last couple of weeks, we've been t- talking about some things that serve as great connecting knowledge. So I would encourage you to go back and check out the podcast and listen to those so this message will make sense to you. Now, today we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 12. And when I read and I read into your hearing, verse 33 through 37. Now, in this heated exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees, after Jesus had healed a demon-possessed man, a man who could not speak or see, the people in the crowd were amazed whenever Jesus did things that glorified God. They were amazed. But the Pharisees heard about it because the people were so amazed, they asked the question. They asked the question that, could this be the Messiah, the son of David? When they asked that question, the Pharisees became outraged. Now, and they said something contrary to that, with their mouth. Somebody said, with their mouth. See, you say a lot of things with your mouth. And, and I'm going to show you here that you need to be a good steward of what you say. Amen. Because they were so upset, they attributed what Jesus did for the man that was sick. They said that he did that because he was operating under the power of Satan. Now, it don't make no sense, but Jesus made it clear to them when he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Even if Satan's kingdom fight against his own kingdom, it won't stand. In other words, he was making it clear that me and Satan are on two different sides. And anything that I do is under the power of the Holy Spirit, not the devil. And so Jesus took offense when they accused the work that he accused him of working for the devil instead of working for God. And so he had something to say about it. And he started dealing with their hearts and our hearts. He says this, In verse 33, he says, a tree is identified by its fruit. Fruit is talking about our character and our actions. 
So he's using this analogy to say that your character and your action and the things you say reveal who you really are. He says if a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Now, Jesus used some pretty bold and, and harsh language right here when he confront these Pharisees. He called them, he said, you brood of snakes with exclamation. I mean, you know, you got to be bold to call somebody a snake. You know, some of us have used that term in the past. You know, when someone do certain, you call them, you ain't nothing but a snake in the Y'all don't use that before. Words come out your mouth like that when people act a certain way. Somehow you already know how snakes slither around and do things. Deceptive, sneaky, you know, just show up. You don't even know you're there, just curled up right waiting on you. So, so Jesus said, now look here, you brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. See, here the heart is not, even though the Greek word cardio, where we get cardiology and all that word for, for our heart, the Bible says that the man thinks in his heart, so it's he. So here the Bible is not necessarily talking about your blood pumper. It's talking about the thing you think with. And he says now, for however you think, what's in your mind is a possibility that you're going to speak out of your thoughts and feelings. And sometimes when you speak out of your thoughts and feelings without thinking, you say some words that you can't take back. Because once a word gets in the atmosphere, it's out there. And you can come behind that word and say, I'm sorry all you want, but it takes some time. So I want to caution you, we got to think before we speak. Because at some point in time, we're going to have to give an account for the words that we He says, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things out of the treasure of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasure of an evil heart. Then he says this, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Now, that word, idle word, is deeper than just, you know, your off-color jokes and things you just say to be funny. But here, that word, idle words, mean that the words you say that commit you to certain things. See, some people took their vows, and their vows became just, just became idle words, meaningless words. And he's saying that the promises that you make to your children shouldn't be just idle words. That'll mean something. The commitment that you make on your job or to the church or to anything you say you're going to do shouldn't be just They ought to mean something because you're going to be held accountable for what you said. Now, the good thing about this is that this accountability won't send you to hell if you repent. Y'all better say amen. Because in this one, in that exchange he had, they had said some things against the Holy Ghost, and he said, hey, ain't, that's a fatal error there. 
to put your mouth on the Holy Spirit. But to just say some things idly, when you realize you just put your foot in your mouth too quick, you need to repent and do what you said you were going to do. It's not a fatal error, but you're going to have to give an account if you don't take care of that on this side. So all I want to do is drop by the day and caution you, think before you speak, because sometimes you say things you have no intention of. I know they ain't want to hear you on here that day, did you? You see, sometimes people even say things to God that they have no intention of doing. Sometimes you can get so crazy, you say things to yourself that you have no intention of doing. And so what Jesus is trying to get us to see is that you got to be a good steward over what you because one day you're going to have to give an account. He says the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. How many of you ever been on trial before? You ain't got to raise your hand, but if you ain't scared. I mean, every now and then, you could have been on trial for a traffic ticket. I mean, some speed. You know, larceny or whatever. But anytime you're on trial, you want to be acquitted. Ain't that right? Am I right about that? You want to be acquitted. Because if you're not acquitted and you're condemned, that means you're going to get locked up. And so what we got to see here is that because of Jesus, when we confess our sins, even the things that we say with our mouth, look here, we can be acquitted for all the things that we say, but just don't put your mouth on the holy. And I tell people this, even when I was a sinner in the world, I didn't go to church and blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Even when I was wild and crazy, I, I somehow knew how to act when I came to God's house. Just something on the inside of me just wouldn't let me go crazy to do something in there or say something that would cause me to be at odds with God. But what I want you to see is that idle words do matter, and the things that you say when you don't think can be harmful, not only to you, but to the person you say. So he says, the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Amen? Now, let me move on. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and this specifically is talking to ministers I want to connect, but also to Christians in general, because we are to be stewards of the gospel. God expects us to be found faithful and loyal to what he has entrusted us, specifically his word, his church, and his people. And we must be faithful in our management of the church affairs. You know, we got to be faithful in the supervision of the people that God has placed on us. And sometimes as ministers, when it comes to laboring to stand up here and to speak God's word on his behalf, we got to be good stewards and make sure that we put the time in and don't just get up here and haphazardly do things. You know, you just, I'm going to just rely on the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, he can help you, but ministers, you got to study. You got to dig, and you got to let the Spirit minister to you, and you got to meditate on this word. Don't just get up in front of God's folks and think they're crazy enough to just believe anything we say. And even though we pontificate a lot, 
long as we go to the scripture, I'm going to show you. He said, here, look, when, when you don't like the way they dress, or you don't like the way they look, or you start comparing them to one another, always compare them to the And this church was caught up in what we call a personality of preachers. There was a, a little cliquish movement in the church for some say I identify with Paul, some say I identify with Peter, some say I identify with Apollos. And Paul here is trying to let the church know you identify with the wrong person. And what I'm going to share, share with you today, if you go to a church and it's all about the man or woman that stand up here and they never talk about Jesus, you identifying. Church now has become a cult, a person. People like the personality of the speaker or the preacher, and sometimes that's okay, but he better or she better be talking or speaking from God's word. So look at this. So this church was kind of caught up in it, and I'm pretty sure here in Strive, now some of you that like some preachers better than you do others, and I'm here to tell you today, you're wrong. You're wrong. You shouldn't be looking at the bulletin to see who's going to be preaching on Sunday to determine whether or not you come to church. Amen. Oh, that ain't my person there. I don't like the way they dress when they preach. Ain't no anointing on them. Oh, I like him because, you know, he can really spit that thing out there. You know, I feel something. You're using the wrong measurement. Con artists can spit stuff out. The measurement that you got to use is the scripture and Jesus Christ. And when you come to church, that's what you ought to measure the people who stand before you by, not what they're wearing. Oh, she got on too much makeup and them earrings just don't go with what she's wearing. Guess what? You're not going to get the word today. Because the personality that's presented to you, you got a problem with. And that happens in the church today. Look at this. This is what he's had to say. He said, now look. And I'm in verse 1 of chapter 4, 1 Corinthians. He says, so look at Apollos and me as mere servants. Somebody say mere servants. He said, we're just mere servants of Christ who has been put in charge, stewards, of explaining God's mystery. In other words, God has entrusted this word to us, the gospel, the things and the prophecies. He has entrusted them to men and women of God that he is called to do this job. And so therefore, because he has entrusted it to us, all we are is servants. We are servants of Christ. He the star. The show is about him, not about us. So therefore, when you go to church, if he's never presented in any kind of way and we never talk about him, then it all becomes about me, myself, and the preacher, and I'm up here, Pastor Bolden, 20 years, striving, da 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 it ain't about me. And so sometimes when you come to church, you know, people look at, well, look at him. He up there, shirt tail out today. That don't even look like a real preacher. <laughs> shoes casual. He used to wear, you know, used to wear real shoes. Now he up there would look like gym shoes on. You're going to miss the word. Because you're focusing on the wrong you're supposed to be listening to something that's going to be revealed to you about God's word and about Jesus Christ that can bless your life, not what type of shoes I got on. 
He says, now look here, preachers. This is purely for you. This verse 2, I want to hit right at our preachers real hard. He says, now a person who is put in charge, somebody say put in charge, as a manager must be faithful. He didn't say should be. He didn't say maybe. He said, if you're a preacher of the gospel, you must be faithful. You can't serve two masters. You can't get caught up in yourself and put yourself above Jesus. You must be faithful. And so therefore, when we come up here, ministers, women and men, look here, you got to be faithful to the one who called you, not the one who put you up here. And when you lose sight of that, you'll lose sight of what God is trying to get you to get through to his people. So now look at it. He says, now, we must be faithful. Then he can start talking about himself a little bit. He says, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. So when I come here to preach, I don't care how you evaluate me. As long as I do what God called me to See, you're not here to evaluate the man or woman who's doing speaking the word. You're here to try to learn something. And sometimes we do say something, and I know I'm guilty. Sometimes you, you scholars out there can have a problem with me, and I'll give you that because my subject and verbs don't always agree. And my adjectives sometimes don't modify like they're supposed to. But that's okay. Let me just read the Bible. If I read the Bible, trust the Bible, and that's what I got to say about it. So he said, now look, we must be faithful. But as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. He said, now look, I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. In other words, look here. He said, look, Cliff, sometimes it's easy for you to get beside yourself. And start seeing yourself in a different light than God see you. So when you stand up here, don't even trust your own judgment. People come and say, ooh, that was a great message. They don't let it go to your head. Don't let your own judgment of yourself cause you to put yourself in a bind with the one you serve. We're not here to place ourselves above Jesus. We're here to elevate him and all the focus go back to So he says, man, you know, I don't trust my own judgment on this point, you know, because I might get high-minded. And, you know, that's a a, a thin line, you know, when it comes to, you know, preaching God's word and being self-righteous as you preach God's word, as if it don't apply to you. Talking preachers now, not y'all. He said, now look, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. In other words, I think I'm doing what God wants me to do with a clear mind. My heart is right. My mind is right. But look here, that don't mean that I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So therefore, even if I think I'm right in my own eyes, I could be doing some things that would be going against God, and he's going to examine me, and he's going to hold me accountable more so because I am a teacher and a preacher of the word and not just someone who's a student. And so preachers, I want to admonish you that, hey, when you stand up here before God's people, know that God is holding you accountable for what you say. He said, now look, in verse 5, so don't make judgment about anyone ahead of time. 
You ain't even heard what she going to say. But because her shoes you don't like, you're not really judge. You see her kneecaps. And in your mind, there's no way you can deliver God's word with your knees showing. And before she even finished the statement of faith, you and I read past. I know that's some of y'all. Y'all ain't got to say amen right there. I know I'm dealing with it. I know, I know how folks think. I, I know how tradition got us thinking when it comes to what people ought to look like when they're up here. And so he's saying, when you do that, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're judging people before you even heard the message. And you, sometimes we judge people ahead of time before the Lord returns. Look what he says. He says, when it comes to us preachers, and you too, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and reveal our private motives. In other words, you know, motives are the reason that you do what you do. The reason behind why. So he's telling us preachers, man, you can't preach with bad motives. There are some preachers who can preach a good message, but the motive behind the message is, is bad. So he's saying, now look, we can't have private motives. In other words, we can't bring our private agenda into the kingdom of God. We got to try to do things the way God has ordained it for us to do. He said, now look at this. Then God will give each one whatever praise is due. That's where we get in trouble at. We like the praise of men more than the praise of God. So therefore, we preach things in order to please men and get their praise instead of doing what God called us to do to get his. See, when you're a preacher, you can't please everybody. There's not going to be a message out there that everybody's going to like all the time. Every now and then, the word of God is going to convict some people. If you read the word, if you just let the scriptures do the talking, the scriptures going to convict some people. And just because you know that, you can't dodge scriptures that are going to convict folks. I didn't go to church, to, you know, to get feel like that. Oh, how did you come to church to feel? Every week can't be a motivational speech for you, baby. Sometimes you got to hear the truth. Amen. And so therefore, when we don't always preach what you want to hear, some people would turn us off. And that's not what you're supposed to do because here he tells us the key in this next verse. So he said, now look, dear brothers and sisters, verse 6, I have used Apollo and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. Here's the key. If you pay attention, somebody say pay attention. If you pay attention to what I have quoted from the scriptures, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of the other. Pastor Bolden pontificate a lot. I'm guilty but I do read a lot. Y'all need to be paying attention to what I'm reading, even if you can't handle what I'm saying. Because I have a tendency to say some things in some ways that is not always pleasing to everybody that listens to me. So for you, I'm saying, pay attention to what he just, focus on the, that's a hashtag. Focus on the scripture. 
when you come to church, focus on the scriptures. If they never open the Bible and give you no scriptures, then you're probably not in the right place. Because you go to church to focus on the Not the man or the woman that's preaching the word, but you're here to focus on the scripture. I've read enough scripture for you to focus on already. You know that we preachers got to be faithful. Amen. And the Bible even goes deeper, Cliff, because it tells us that as men and women of God, elders or bishops or whatever title we want to carry, we got to govern our households right. Because the Bible says, how can you govern God's church and you can't even take care of your own? Tell us that we can't drink too much wine, Brother Moses. Say we couldn't drink, but we can't drink too much. So there's a conflict when there's a drunk preacher on the scene. It just don't work. A drunk missing preacher just don't go together. Don't go together. Uh, yeah, I don't want to hear that. Preachers ain't supposed to be greedy. To do this only for? And if they marry, they're going to take care of their wife or if their husband, if they're female. They got to be right in their home. They can't come up here and preach you down and preach you to shout and then they go home and raise hell. And everybody want to know, who is that up on the stage? Because if you ain't got no credibility in your house, you don't need to be up. Somebody say, pay attention to the scripture. And so if you do that, it won't matter who's preaching up here as long as they open up this Bible and, they, and you pay attention to the scriptures. Not what Pastor Bolden got to say about it because like you say, I'll give you a football example in a minute to make a point, but, but I'm going to read the scripture before the example. So if you can't follow my analogy, pay attention to the scripture. You may like Preacher X on TV or whatever. He may be the greatest guy you've ever seen, but pay attention to the scripture. That's what Paul said. Pay attention to the scripture. Focus on what God's words say and not the person that's delivering the word. Preachers, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, real quick. Ministers of the gospel must be faithful stewards even in the face of opposition. You know, sometimes preaching this word causes conflict. Sometimes, you know, the Bible tells us that we have to defend and contend for the faith. And so whenever you're contending for something, that means you're fighting for it. Just like when in boxing, when you got a contender, they are fighting to get something. And so therefore, there are people that's going to come against us as ministers. We got to be able to defend what we believe in, and we got to be willing to go and face opposition when it comes to the word. You can't allow opposition to keep you from preaching what God called you to preach. Because you're his steward, not the person you're preaching to. You just preach the scriptures. Tie your message to a scripture. So look what he was telling them uh, here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. He says, you yourself know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to see you was not a failure. 
In other words, Paul is saying, hey, we came to preach and share this gospel with you. Man, no preacher want to preach and think their word is failing. I mean, I leave here every Sunday believing and hoping and praying that you all are going to at least take something I say from this word and do something with it. I'm expecting you to make some level of application of the scripture. Not just to be hearers of the word only, but you want to be doers also. And so when, when I preach here and all I got is hearers and no doers, then the word is failing. Amen. The, the word, God's word should inspire you and motivate you to try to live out the thing that you're learning. And sometimes when the message gets a little tight, then yeah, I'll get some bad blowback, but that's okay. Just designed to get you back on track. That's all it is. And, and you know, we always want to make sure that we, when we present God's word, we present it with love. But look here, sometimes love is tough. And what happens is when people don't like tough love, I ain't going back there no more. Okay. That's your choice. But the point is, as long as I'm reading scripture to you, your argument is not with me. Your argument is with the source. And so he says, now look, we don't want to be a failure. Nobody want to be a failure. Especially a man or woman of God, man, when you labor over this word, you want people to receive it and at least trust it a little bit and try to apply it to that life situation. So when something come up, you can say, man, I was taught how to handle that. Because the word of God says, this is what I'm supposed to do in this situation. He says, look, verse 2, you know how badly, somebody say badly, you know how badly we have been treated in Philippi. They were beat up pretty bad there. Just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. See, that's another thing for us preachers today. We, we dodged that suffering message. Man, I don't know when the last time I heard a preacher talk about suffering. We want it all, but we don't want to suffer nothing to get it. We want to go through nothing. We want everybody to love us, everybody to pass on the back. We want all that, but then when it comes time to suffer for the Lord, then we want to cry and whine. Why me? It comes with the job. Let me make it natural. Some of y'all want to be higher up in the pyramid, in your company, on your job, whatever. There's a certain amount of suffering that comes with that. You get headaches that everybody else don't get. Or let me break it down to your family. When you're sitting at the top, of the pyramid in your family? You suffer something your children don't even think of suffering. They're going to know, what? that ain't no big deal. Why you worry about that? Because you suffer. You suffering for them, and they don't even realize. They don't think you're going through something. And they don't realize some of y'all being put through some suffering, right? Especially if you got some teenagers that are just going to do what teenagers I can tell you about some suffering with teenagers. I was one and I had three. So I, I know when that switch hit in them 10 years. And crazy, come on, forget everything you taught them. I know what it's like. 
I know what that suffering is like when you got to pray your way through them. You know, they're good kids. They're good girls. I had golf girls, so I didn't have the bad boy I had to worry about. I had to, had to protect the girls. But I had to do some suffering. When prom time came, suffering. Time to go off to college. So I'm trying to tell you, if you're on your job right now and you're the guy that's sitting up there when all the decisions go bad, they look at you. Comes with it. But what you need to be when that suffering comes, still be a good steward over what's been placed in your trust. The suffering that my daughters may or may not have put me through, the thing that saved me, Brother Cliff, is I knew I was a good steward over them. I told them everything they need to know before they left my house. I told them how boys operate, what they think about. Don't care how big the smile is, at the end of the day. At the end of the day. End game, that's what it is. You hold on to the end game, you can hold on to him. Let the end game go, he's going to go on to somebody else. Now, they ain't had to learn that in the streets. They learned that from. So when they went out there and somebody may have got to the end game, my conscience was. Because I had been a good steward over what was entrusted. Y'all better hear me today. He says this now. He says, you suffered. Then in, still in verse 2, he says, yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Preachers just can't be scared. Amen. You can't be scared. You're standing on God's word. I'm reading the Bible right now. It says the word of God can be declared boldly. You ain't got to be ashamed. You ain't got to be bashful. You can be bold when you declare what God's word say. I'm agreeing with him. Why would I be timid? He said, in spite of opposition, you got to be, be bold. See, there are some people that come to church to oppose the gospel. They don't want to learn. They come and find fault with it. So therefore, when those folks show up, I got to be Because they need to know the truth. Now look at this. This is where some preachers get in trouble because he make it clear that his motives for doing what he was doing was right. He says, now look, so you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. That's one thing Pastor Bowden ain't going to try to do with y'all. I ain't going to try to trick y'all to believe Jesus. I ain't trying to trick you nothing. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says straight up. And you, and, and, and you know what? Cliff, that word impure, that means... I ain't going to cut it. You know, that, see, what, what is happening there is that, you know, sometimes when people used to buy liquor, they cut it. They, 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 you know, they cut it. So they're selling the liquor, they, they cut it. So therefore, if I got a bottle here, I can make that bottle, bottle go further and last longer, especially if I just... And see, sometimes people are coming to church, they want cut word that's watered down. They don't want the straight 100 proof shot. They want some shots that just got 10% and rest of it watered down. That ain't happening here. 
Baby, when you come here, you're going to get this gospel uncut, <laughs> unadulterated. We ain't going to water it down to make you feel good because that ain't what the Bible say. You're supposed to take it un. We cut down casserole with sugar and stuff, but we ain't cutting down the word. So he says, you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. I mean, some of you sitting here today have been tricked in church. Just didn't know no better. When you don't know the truth, then anything can sound true to you. And therefore, people can take a lot of, let me give you some insight. All preachers weren't born holy. Amen. Some of them came off the street. They were hustlers before they got saved. And if they ain't been truly purified by the word of God, some of them are still. But the thing that you got to know is the word. The word. So you obey the word, and if he's trying to hustle you with the word, you got to know the So that's one thing I've tried to do. Never, I don't want to trick God's people. Now, we don't play games with you in here. Because if I trick you into accepting Jesus, then once you realize you've been tricked, you ain't coming back, and you're going to give him a bad name all because of me. I'm here to tell you the truth, that he died for you, that he wants you saved, that he loves you in spite of you. But I'm not here to tell you, keep doing what you're doing just to make you come back. I know that was going to be tough for me right there, but I'm in verse 4 now. I got past that tough part right there because I get upset sometimes when I look at this, these Christian TV channels now and listen to some of these preachers out there just tricking people, just tricking people with games and schemes. They sound just like worldly dudes, man, just tricking people. And people just don't know that they're being tricked and they're being duped all because they don't know the truth and they don't know the scriptures. And when the dude starts asking you for all your money on TV and he ain't got no scripture to show it to you and you don't know him personally, look at him. Don't buy your blessing. You, you can't get closer to God with your money. Your obedience is what gets you closer to God. You obey God, he'll bless you. If you obey God, then you'll want to give for the right reason. Your motive won't be, I'm going to give him this so I can get Oh, Lord, let me read on. He says, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. So who we look at approval for? So as long as I know that I'm approved by God, then I'm not intimidated by the looks on folks' faces. Amen. I mean, Cliff, I didn't look good when I had to take the castor oil either. Put all kind of faces on. But mama didn't care. Because in the long run, it's going to do you some good. You don't think that going in is going to do you some good, but once it get in your system, it'll do you some good. Once this word get in your spirit, it's going to do you some good. It's going to do you some good. 
God's word is not designed to hurt us. It's designed to make us He said, so we speak as messages approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. The gospel is good news about Jesus Christ. He says, our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examined the motives of our hearts. Then he tells us here, now look here. Never once did we try to win you with flattery. You know, sometimes people can be excessive in telling you how good you are. Ever say man. Amen. You know, <laughs> and, and, and flattery can work both ways. Amen. You know, some people, you know, can flatter you a lot of words. That ain't true. Amen. Because a lot of times people flatter you with words. Most of them ain't true. But then there's sometimes people can flatter you with the truth. And after they flatter you with the truth, they can make you blow your head up so big that you forget that you're still a servant. It's okay for people to say thank you and praise you for doing a good job. But look here, you ain't always all that. So when someone is always, always, always flattering, that their motives for doing it may not be That's a lesson for some, for some young folk right there. What do they want? He always talk about how good you look, how good you look, and you know today you're a hot mess. <laughs> you're a hot mess. He's a hot mess. He's a hot mess. You know, you're a hot mess. So you know right now, that compliment is aimed at something. Let me move on. Let me move on. Let me move on. I ain't going to meddle today. But look here. That was pontification. That ain't the word. That's just me understanding the men. He says, now look, our purpose, not, now again, never once did we flatter you, uh, win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to make you our friends just to get your money. See, some people can befriend you for the wrong. And likewise, you can befriend some people for the wrong reason. You don't see a genuine friend, you see a dollar sign. What can this person do for me? Instead of what can I do to enhance this person's life? And so he said, look, when we came with the gospel, we didn't try to make friends with you just to get your money. Because during this time, there was a lot of traveling preachers going around who was called hucksters. They was just taking advantage of God's people by just telling them what they wanted to hear, and people were paying to hear just what they wanted to here. Back in the day when I was a young Christian, I used to go to conferences to pay to tell, let guys tell me what I did want to hear. That was when I was deep into following, you know, guys who preached about prosperity all the time. You know, because at that time, if the Lord blessed them like that, maybe I ought to have one of them. Maybe I can drive a Bentley around. So, so he told me, you won't live like me. You got a soul like me. And then you got a soul like that to me. I said, okay, if I want to live like that, I got a soul like that. I guess I better give like that to him. Then the light came on. 
I said, man, look here. You can't buy no blessing. Man, they don't even sell business in Fort Walton Beach. Come on, man. You better wake up. You're being hustled. I was called a son of the ministry, son. But I couldn't understand why the son always had to give up and nothing came. It was always so, so, so. Give to ministry, give, give, give. And then when the son called and said, hey, a hurricane to hit us, can you help? Crickets. That let me know right then that I couldn't buy blessings from God by following the teachings of a man. Now, don't get me wrong. I learned some powerful words there, but I kind of saw how the game was played. And I now know that preachers can hustle you. With flattery words. Pretend to be your friend. Just to get your money. You know, the Bible says sometimes we can even flatter ourselves. <laughs> and we be so caught up with us that, hey, you know, we just make ourselves think we all added some chips and, you know, whatever. So you got to be careful when no one will, in love, tell you the truth when they only tell you what you want to hear. And people have taken classes just to figure out how your mind works and what your mind likes to hear. And because of that, they know that there are certain words that can be said that will get a certain reaction out of you. That ain't spiritual, that's psychology. And so I can go to those classes and learn that if I say this word long enough, I can get tears out of somebody. If I just hit that word long enough and speak to those ears. But I'm not going to do that to trick you to cry when your heart don't really want you. Your heart is hard as a brick, but you're only crying because Pastor Bowling got a damn shed tear too. And then I, was, I just felt something today. No, you didn't. Look at this, verse 6. He says, as for human praise, somebody say human praise. We never sought it from you or anyone else. Men and women of God who stand up here should never do it for human praise. That's the wrong motivation to present God's word to you, his people. And when we do that, we are not being good stewards over the word that he's entrusted to us. And when I, when I do that, Look, I'll tell you another secret. Back in the day when we used to uh, sell CDs after the sermon, then cassettes, and I mean CDs, cassettes first, then CDs. You know, as a pastor, you can go to the bookstore. I would go to the bookstore, hey, how many CDs left today? And on some Sundays, it would be 10, 20, 30. And on other Sundays, two. And I could say, oh, they like that. I need to feed, keep feeding them that because I keep feeding them that, they're going to keep getting CD. They don't like this one that I talked a little bit about Holy. Holy still sitting on the shelf, still sitting over there, still sitting over there. Ain't nobody picked up. But when you talk about God wants you to be successful, he wants you to reach you, to become your best you. They left, man, they left like that all the time. 
and, and now you your best you and ain't holy. And so if I was caught up into that, then guess what? I will preach you to you what you want to hear so that our CD sales will continue to go. And that's the same thing that they do to us in the record industry. They play certain tunes so many times an hour, so they get it into your psyche, and then you will eventually want that song. So I refuse to trick people. I refuse to con them into accepting Jesus Christ. Because as I close with 2 Timothy, and I'm just going to paraphrase this, Paul told Timothy, as a dear son, he told him to be strong in the grace that God has given them. But he told him, look, you got to search out faithful people, trustworthy people, and teach them this word so that they will then teach so God's word is designed to be passed. And if I fail to do my job here, then that means the next generation will not get the word because you won't pass it on. As a steward, I have to open that Bible up to you. I have to share with you what the truth of God's word says. And I pray that when you hear it, you will pass it on to your children so that your children can learn about the Lord Jesus Christ, not from school, not from Sunday school, not from a Christian school, but from your house. They learn about Jesus. Because you are a good steward. This word that God has given you is not designed for you to take that trust and put it in a vault and never use it. It's designed for you to put it in your heart, let it meditate there, and then you share it, if no, with nobody else, with your children. You have an obligation, if you're a parent, to share this word with your children, whether they want to hear it or not. I'm entrusting it to you so that you can entrust it to them, so that when they get of age, they can be held accountable based upon what you taught. And if you teach them right and they error when they get of age, then you don't have to walk around pulling your hair out and looking in the mirror, I wonder how bad I was as a parent. No! I taught them the truth. And when they came of an age of accountability, their issues was not on me. It was on the decision that they made. And so I want to speak to some of you parents right now who are feeling guilty for what your children may or may not be doing or your friends out there who got children doing some crazy stuff and now they're feeling guilty. I'm telling you, teach them the right way when they're young. They may veer and go away from it, but eventually the Bible says they will come back to the truth that you taught them. Yes, they're going to go through their dumb days. We all went through our dumb days, but my mom and my daddy made sure I got the truth of the gospel, and when I came back to my senses, I know where I had it to end up. Trust God's word into your children while they're young, and then believe that if you make a deposit in them when they grow up, they will cash it in. Yeah. Don't wait on the school system to teach them how to pray. You teach them how to pray. Sometimes we catch flack for saying the Lord's Prayer here at the church. You know, because we added that in. We didn't used to do that all the time. But that, I never saw my granddaddy go to church. Never. I know he was a member of the church, but I never saw him. But one thing granddaddy did, he taught me the Lord's. We could not go to bed at night in granddaddy's house 
until we said the Lord's Prayer. We learned that. And nowadays, children don't even... Two things they taught us in school. Granddad taught the Lord's Prayer, and we had to learn the 23rd. Nowadays, we Christians walk around, they done took prayer out of school. They done took out, no, they didn't. You done took it out your children's heart. Because if it was in their heart, they could take it to school and trust something in them that they can take with them when they leave your because one day, I'm telling you, we don't like to see them leave the nest, but one day, they're going to leave. And when they leave, you want to have peace in your heart and your mind and your conscience because you have been a good steward over the children that God has blessed you with. And that's all I got to tell you today. Preachers, we got to be good stewards. We must be faithful. Parents, you got to be good stewards of your children. They're not going to like it, but you still got the responsibility for them until they get of age. And until they get that age, you got to be the manager in charge. The three-year-old don't run the house. If you let them, they will. They'll tell you when they get up. When the cook, when the eat. No, I, I know. I, I got a grandson, three years old. Now, little Ralph's already strong will, and look, he want to play his game all day. That's all. You give him that game, he'll sit there, do nobody look more about that little computer game and get mad when he can't win. No, look, give it here. You, you. And guess what? At a young age, he won't come at Big Daddy. You know, took my mind. <laughs> no. At a young age, the Bible says train them up in the way that they should go. You can't wait till they get 13 and 14 and 15 when their personality has already been shaped. You got to start when they're... I'm through. Every head bowed and every eye closed. God bless you. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I got several appeals for you. My first appeal is for salvation. If you're here and you've not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, the Word of God is calling you today. Give your life to the Lord. He came, hung, bled, and died so that you will have a way back to the Father. The sacrifice has already been made. The blood has already been shed. All you need to do is acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. And if that is you, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. If you're online, just send us a message. We'll gladly connect with you at the appropriate time. My second appeal, if you're here and you're looking for a church home and the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and saying that striving for perfection ministries is the place for you, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. I see a hand going up in the back. Amen. There'll be another if you're online. If you raise your hand, there's going to be an usher coming. He's going to take you get some information. I ask that this time you just gather your things, go with him. And uh, we will greet you in our own special way. That, would that be another? Would that be another? The Lord is speaking to your heart and saying that striving for perfection ministries is the place for you. True, we'd love to have you as a part of this body. Amen. I see you moving. Glory be to God. 
My third appeal is for the Holy Spirit. So if you're here and you want to know more about the Holy Spirit, baptism with the Holy Spirit, it's a gift from God. And if you desire to know more, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. And my fourth and final appeal is for prayer. You may want to stand at your seat. You may want to come to the altar. Wherever the Lord is leading you to pray, please come at this time or please stand. If you want to remain seated, you can do that also. You know, I want to encourage you, based upon what the words say, you can cast your cares on the Lord yourself. You can come boldly before the throne of grace because Jesus rent the veil of the temples that you have access to God. And so, therefore, we ought to always have that conversation with our Heavenly Father. He knows what you have need of, but he still expects us to come to him and ask. We ask because we know he's able to meet our needs. We give him thanks and praise because we, we acknowledge what he has done for us. Then if there are things that we need to acknowledge in our lives that don't line up with his word, we just ask him to forgive us. Then we make our requests and our supplications where we lay out the things that we would desire for him to do in our lives. God is faithful, and he expects us to be faithful. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we honor you and give you thanks on today. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we just pray that as we continue to fellowship in a body of believers, we pray that as we continue to come together, that we will focus on the scripture. Let the scripture be the center of our attention, that we can learn and grow by, and that we can stand on those truths. God, we thank you for reminding us of us that today, that it's the scripture that determines whether or not we're standing on the truth of the gospel. It is the scriptures that identify Jesus Christ as your son. It is the scripture that tells us about eternal glory. It is the scripture that revealed to us what life is going to be like after we depart this earth. It is the scripture. And God, it's the scripture that reminds us that Jesus had loved us in spite of us. He loved us enough to die for our sins. It is the scripture. And so therefore, God, we just pray that those scriptures will take root in our hearts and our minds and that we will be able to run with this gospel and share with others, God, because we have been called to spread this gospel to those who don't know. So God, allow us to sp spread the scriptures, share the truth, to preach this word because, and teach this word because we are faithful stewards of the word. God, I thank you in advance for what you're going to do in the lives of these, your people. I thank you for what you've already done. And God, for those concerns, their prayer concerns, their issues, their praise, whatever it is they may be praying up to you right now, God, I pray that you incline your ear down from heaven, hear their cry, hear their plea, and answer them, God, in your own way and in your own time. And Father, we will always honor you, we will always give you the praise and the glory, and we will always acknowledge our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. 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 Give the Lord a hand clap of praise, if you will. Amen.